This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Today, I am hosting an interview with Kaylee Robsham. She is a multimodality healer and business coach online. We connected through Instagram a couple of years ago, actually, and we've just always kept in touch. And I've invited her to come onto the channel today because I wanted to talk to her or talk with her about money mindset and talk about just healing and trauma and privilege and some really solid things that need to be discussed more in the coaching world. So, I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation. So here you go. You can just jump right on in. So welcome, Kaylee. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. And so I would love if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you, where you're from, and then we're just going to dive into the conversation together. Cool. Thank you so much for having me, Kayla. Um, I just, I'm so excited that we're finally meeting I mean, most of the listeners today can't see us, but we're on a Zoom call. So this is the first time we're actually meeting face-to-face quotes um, (laughs) on a Zoom video call. So it's so cool when you finally get to meet someone who's been like your online friend for a few years in person. Um, Hi, everyone. Thank you so much again for having me. I'm so grateful to have you all just like listen to us talk today. Um, It's such an honor. And my name is Kaylee Robsham. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm a coach to just put it vaguely, but um, I have a few titles. I run three online businesses. Um, So my first online business, I got started in 2018. It was my own coaching consulting business, Kaylee Robsham Coaching. And my second business started in kind of 2019, 2020, Um, called the Higher Ed Entrepreneur, which is a business for educators who work in higher ed, who want to start a side hustle or a business. And my third business, I just got started this year, which is a death doula business. Um, So helping people, helping healthy people with understanding death and dying in their process, getting their paperwork ready, and then also helping folks who are either terminally ill or kind of ready to pass away, die, look at their death process, um, and being a companion for them. So um, I've wanted to do all three businesses, but of course, starting three businesses at once is not a good idea. So I definitely recommend focusing on one thing um, and then going from there. But I'm so excited to chat about everything and everything today. Um, I'm also a clinical hypnotherapist, an NLP practitioner, which I know some of you know, um, Kayla does on, um, on, in your work and everything. So you kind of are familiar with that. So we can chat about all the things today. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all the things that you're doing. And I think the, the overarching thing that I love so much about you and your work is that there's just so much healing involved, you know, and I think that something that comes up a lot in the coaching world is like, trying to fix or change things but I just love the way that you share and it's really like this deep healing and looking at things like privilege and just being so deeply rooted in inclusivity that it really is healing like this isn't like a band-aid of just throwing affirmations around or 
you know, just looking at law of attraction as is like, it really is about doing the inner work, which obviously, you know, myself having done NLP and hypnosis and all of that, like that really is the work where you get to go into the subconscious, right? And heal from the inside out. And I, I just, I just love that so much about you. And I've learned so much from you the last few years about that. So I just wanted to acknowledge you and just also share with the audience. Yeah. I just wanted to like share with the audience like this, this is why I want to have this conversation today because I think this is so important. And, you know, especially when I started out in the coaching world, I was inspired by manifestation and that was like, Oh, law of attraction and this and that. And of course it really resonated with me because I'm a white woman with privilege. And so it was easier for me to manifest. But then as I started getting deeper into the coaching world and especially around money, which is definitely going to be something we're going to talk about today. There's just so much that isn't discussed. That is kind of the like quote unsexy work that needs to be done in terms of like looking at your privilege and looking at how the way that we speak to our audience or speak about money is like non-inclusive and it actually causes more harm when ironically we're just trying to help people. So I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on that and like what you've seen and just what's shifted for you over the last few years with your business. Yeah, that's, there's a lot there, but I think for, you know, people who are listening, the most important thing is to realize that our privilege comes, it's embedded in everything that we do. And I think that a lot of people who are just focused on law of attraction and just focused on manifestation without doing like what you said, the unsexy work, if you can change your perspective and think like, actually, if I do this work of unpacking my privilege and unpacking my identities and how they play out in my work and in the world, I can actually reach more people. I can actually have a more abundant business because I can relate to people on a very human level. So if you're only focused on um, law of attraction and the way that it impacts white people, and not black or indigenous or other people of color, the Asian community, um, you know, there's so many communities, um, like even first generation folks, you know, there's so many communities that you can learn about so that you can be like, how can I not to, um, not in a way that's people pleasing, you know, you don't want to be like, okay, I have to do all of these things in order to reach these people. I think that's very like checklisty, um, fake way of approaching it, doing it of like, where does your interest lie first? Like, what do you want to explore? And then um, doing outreach and doing education on your own, right? There's no like cookie or sticker here for <laughs> people to get. And for me, it was, it was really from the perspective is that I don't want to cause harm with my clients. And I didn't know the ways of which I was doing that. Um, when I first started and I did cause harm, right? Everyone causes harm in some way. So if you're listening, you have caused harm to another person intentionally or unintentionally. Um, it just happens because of the lens that we have, the different types of privileges that we hold. And when I say privilege, I mean like your identity, like how you show up in the world. So for example, my husband, my partner, he is Mexican, Italian, but he is white passing. So he shows up as a white cisgender man in this world. And he gets weird comments sometimes, he gets racist comments, but for the most part, he can show up in the world in this way. So that's what I mean by privilege is how do you show up in the world in spaces, um, whether it's Zoom or an online space, 
or like how do you show up in your body because everyone shows up in a body in a different way and when you start to understand that you can actually create real change in your business or in your community yeah the examples that you just gave as well are really i think eye-opening and, and good examples so that people can see like it doesn't just have to do with your skin color, but it, it can also do with your body and just how you speak and how you show up. And that really is ultimately the impact. And it's funny, I was listening to something on Instagram yesterday and they were talking about how, you know, manifestation is a co-creation process. Like you are co-creating with the universe, like with the physical reality. And so, you know, to think like, you know, just, change your mind and change your life like it's not it's not the full picture like this I don't know why this quote just hit me so hard because it's such a short thing that gets thrown around on the internet like change your mind and change your life that's not it like it's you are co-creating and like the environment that you're in the health that you have the body that you have like how you identify if you're transgender or queer any of that like that will affect how you create your life because of you know, discrimination and the things that, and the systems in place that, you know, create barriers for people. So I think that it's just so powerful to really give multiple different examples because there's just so many different ways that people have advantage and, and ways that people have disadvantages. So I think that's like so important that what you just shared. Right. And if you're someone who has a lot of privilege, learn about the barriers to other, you know, marginalized populations and then go do something about it, right? You can't, I think as people with privilege, specifically white people, they feel guilt, then they feel helpless. And they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? And they end up doing nothing. That's not the point of this. The point of it is to learn about what you are interested in and focus on that thing. Because um, we can't like help or save the world. Like that's not what we're here for. We're here for actually to create understanding of other people's lived experiences. So that we as leaders, like if you're interested in being a leader, you need to be able to hold space for those lived experiences. But if you don't understand them, you'll never be able to hold that space. So yeah, I think when you mention, um, let's come back to like manifestation and co-creating and that access. So if you're not aware of the barriers that your clients have, then you are not creating that access for them. So their co-creation level in terms of manifestation is ultimately going to be lower um, to begin with, um, if in terms of like a, even just mindset, right? Because their mindset, their their lived experience, the narratives they grew up with, like even just even in this conversation, right? My socioeconomic status is probably different from your socioeconomic status. There's so many different um, identities that we hold that come into a space, and everyone is so different. Um, so it's not about Right, you can learn all of the things, but really when you want to become an ally, it's the practice piece. It's the being willing to mess up piece. And that's the piece where a lot of like guilt and things come up because people are like, well, if I'm not perfect, I'm going to hurt someone. Well, you're already hurting people <laughs> by not doing it. So you might as well practice um, because it's going to happen either way. So I think giving yourself permission to practice and then realize wow, if I learn about this and then I start practicing it one day, I'm going to be able to teach other people so that um, marginalized people in, I mean, in the U.S., I don't know about Canada, but um, they don't have to like necessarily teach, you know, people and do that physical, emotional labor 
um, that has been mostly free and unpaid at this point. So, but yeah, the manifestation um, coaching industry is pretty harmful in my opinion. Um, and I used to engage in those practices. I used to subscribe to that way of life and to those ideas. And then I was like, wait, how come this doesn't feel right? This doesn't feel good in my body. Um, coaching some of uh, the women of color in my community and it's just not resonating. Um, so, so I kind of like to break down law of attraction um, as kind of like law of projection instead. So everyone has a different lens and some people just have more lens on top of each other. They're thicker glasses um, that they have to wear. And so we can change those lens when we start becoming aware of the programming. So the subconscious programming that we have, the lived experiences that we have. Um, if any of you study NLP like we do, um, it's the number one foundation is your identity. And that is all of your lived experiences. That's how you grew up. Um, that is going to dictate the programs and strategies that you run, the thoughts you have day to day, the behaviors, the habits you have. And that looks different for everyone. Um, but when we can start to change the lens and actually heal and bring awareness to, oh, my, you know, I used to cut coupons with my mom every Sunday. And that's what indicated that maybe we didn't have enough money. Or maybe like the electric guy came to the house and my, you know, my mom wrote a fake check or something. That didn't actually happen to me, but I'm saying this happens for some of my clients, right? They're like, my electricity almost got shut off, but my mom was so resourceful that she wrote like a fake check and that we got our electricity turned on for three more days. Like these are things that actually happen. And you know, that informs everything that you do. So, um, and sometimes it can be a situation that we're just observing. It doesn't actually have to be in relation to us. So an example is one of my clients, she had the belief that she had to struggle in order to get like her desires. And so the story was, and this is anonymous and permission to share. So the story was when she was like two years old, she decided to climb up the TV to get, a, to get something that she really wanted. I don't even remember what she wanted, but instead of getting what she wanted, she grabbed a lamp and it like hit her in the head and she had to go to the hospital. So the program that she learned was that she had to struggle and actually get hurt in order to receive what she wanted. And the way the subconscious mind works is that they just save these programs and strategies and it's not, we don't get to control that. Like our conscious mind doesn't get to control that. So when we look at things like racism, guess what? We just learned that growing up. It was embedded in our culture and we don't get to learn that. So there's a, most of us are racist and we don't know it because it's so unconscious. So um, what I help to do with my clients is work with their unconscious bias, um, you know, whether it's against LGBTQ community, um, black and brown community, whatever that bias is. And they're like, hmm, I have these behaviors. I feel guilty. It's come and playing out in these ways, you know, because it's in your behaviors. If you feel that discomfort, there can be that within you. And that's just part of your programming. You just shared, I think it was like such a great example of the importance of not doing the surface level manifestation law of attraction work, but there's actually like such a deep level of programming that comes with the subconscious mind, which is obviously why like 
NLP and hypnosis is so powerful because you really get to, you know, you, it's like you, you pull strings and it can, it can just unwire everything so that you can reorganize your thought patterns and your behaviors and your beliefs and all of that. So it's like so powerful what you're sharing. I, I would love if we can pivot a little bit into talking about money and how, you know, this programming and everything really ties into that. And if you can just share, what are some of, what are some of the common themes or overarching themes that you've noticed when it comes to money and healing that so that people can receive money in their life and, you know, hold on to it and feel abundant and get that experience of freedom. Money is such a big topic. So if you're listening, you're not alone. Um, I haven't met one person who hasn't had really like a money wound in some way. So, and I've had plenty myself. Um, I think when it comes to money, there's kind of like, how do I receive money? How do I have money? Like, how do I save it, have it? And then how do I spend it? Um, and a lot of people have trouble receiving it. People have trouble having it and saving it and people have trouble spending it too, right? There's kind of different personalities when it comes to money, kind of like hoarding it or spending it all um, or having a hard time receiving it. So <laughs> I'm trying to think of even where to begin with this. Like a common thing that you've seen, like the first thing that comes to mind instead of all of the things. Okay, so I think one of the biggest things that I see the most common thread in my work is um, I'm never going to have enough money and I don't have enough money. Even when, even when your logical mind actually you do have enough money, you can probably pay for your bills. You probably have paid for your bills for the past maybe year or so. And what I mean by that is that, um, for example, like we had to go on unemployment last year from COVID. And so we were really worried at one point before we got the unemployment that we weren't going to be able to pay our bills. And so we got the unemployment and I was still, even though we had the unemployment, I was still worried about paying our bills, right? We are still worried. So we tend to have a lot of worries that come up around our money. Um, and we're worried about getting that need met. And it's so common because it's a very primal like survival pattern that we run. So um, if you, you know, whatever you learned, so this kind of goes back to the subconscious and the body and um, trauma around money, like the financial trauma that we learned as, as children around money. So um, say you didn't get your needs met in some way when you were a kid. So say you were a baby and you didn't get enough milk or like, so this is like six months old, right? And then maybe you were in the womb and you didn't get enough nutrients. Um, maybe you were reaching for help when you were two or three years old and you didn't get that love that you wanted. So money can reflect nourishment in the form of food, in the form of love, um, in the form of other things. And it just kind of, we, we, and it projects onto our money story. So our money story might just not, it might not solely be about money. It's the way that we're receiving everything in our life and how we're allowing ourselves to get that need met and asking for help. So um, something that I notice is that just people are so scared to ask for help. Um, there was like very old programming and shame around being on un unemployment, but it's like, this is something that we have to do. So many people had to ask for help when COVID hit and a lot of money wounds came up because there was new ways that you had to figure it out. Um, whether you were starting an online business or 
you needed to get on unemployment or um, we had our landlord was like, oh, I'll give you, you know, a month off rent. Like you can just take a month. I'm getting assistance and that means you get assistance. And it's like, I noticed that during COVID, the community came together and money wounds are actually starting to get healed. Um, I think they were so unconscious for so long in the collective. And now people are really taking the time to start to heal that one. And I think the not having enough wound is probably one of the biggest that I see. It's so interesting because if you were to choose an, if you were to choose a number, okay, I want to have this amount in my bank account. It would be really easy for the mind to be like, okay, but what if I want this? And then it costs more. Maybe we should have this amount and then this amount. And then it's just like, it, it's just never ending. And there's nothing wrong with desiring more, first of all, like absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to have more. And, and so it's, but there's this guilt or shame around it because there's, I've noticed that there's this lens like, well, if I have more than I'm taking away from other people, or there's that deep wound of if I, if I was worthy, then I would have it. Like there's just so many beliefs that have been ingrained and, and it does come from childhood. Like I, I remember growing up when my parents separated and there was a lot of fighting around money because of child support. And it was like, oh, he's not paying enough child support. And and then it was like, your mom's using money for your half sisters. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, I, so I grew up in this world of the split family of like fighting around money. And like, there was never enough money. And it was like, you have to, this was like such a common thing for me. You have to work hard, save your money. Like debt is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had a similar is, program. <laughs> oh Wait, my are God. you the middle child? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, no, so I grew up and I grew up in a very interesting situation because I'm 10 and eight years older than my sisters. My sisters are, um, my mom married and my mom had my sisters. So then we had this age gap. And so I had a very interesting experience of like growing up with, you know, my dad and my mom being separated, my dad remarrying like a narcissistic alcoholic, like this lot of mental, emotional abuse in there. And then I had this very like stable life with my mom and my sisters and my stepdad where it was like financially stable and we had a, a very safe home and it was I was just bouncing back and forth like a ping pong table right but you know the relationship to money was yeah it was always scarce and it was like trading time for money and just you owe this and tit for tat and it was just like I don't know it was just crazy and so the amount of work that I've had to do in my adult years of looking at you know, I even had a belief like, oh, men always have to make more money than me in a relationship. Yeah. So that, which is like super, I think, traditional in the sense you think, oh, you're just going to be as a woman, you're just going to be taken care of and you're going to stay home and do, you know, the housework and so on. Nothing wrong with that. If that is something that resonates with, you know, a, like a woman or a mother or somebody who wishes to do that, totally fine. It just wasn't what I wanted for myself. And so I had to really deprogram myself over the last couple of years and look at these wounds and, and really also acknowledge like my parents did their best with what they had. And that doesn't mean that I have to continue to subscribe to that reality. And, and so it's, it's like, I feel even vulnerable to sharing this, you know, on, on the episode, but I think it's important to normalize these conversations because there is going to be a choice where we can look at, you know, considering privilege to unsubscribe from things that don't actually serve us. So I think that that's, that's really important as well. Exactly. And even using your example of 
you know, if we, if we use law of attraction and we're like, oh, well, you're just attracting people who you're attracting men into your life who are making more than you, right? Well, it's not exactly that you're attracting that person in, it's that your lens, you are making decisions based off of your lens that you have in your program. So ultimately you might, and this is just a guess, you might feel more comfortable subconsciously because that is already a neuro pathway that you just feel, your brain feels more comfortable being with someone who earns more than you. So you're naturally going to attract that person in. So law of attraction, it's, it's like half true. Um, well, in my opinion, but, um, but part of it is that manifestation, right? Is we have to look at like, we're, we're deciding on this because the foundation of what it's built upon is, is your lens. And that, that's the experience that you had. And it's so unique to you and who you are. So my mom was the breadwinner, breadwinner. So I'm like, I like love making money. That's why I have three businesses. It's just so part of who I am because that's the environment I grew up in. So um, if you have clients who didn't grow up in that environment and you're, you know, preaching to them, well, you can do this, you can do this. It's not really going to help them get anywhere. Um, you actually have to ask them powerful questions that help you understand the internal representation that they have about their life. That's what a good coach does. That's what a great coach does actually is getting to the foundation of like, what is the root cause and what is that lived experience? And when you, when a client leads a session, that's when you ultimately know that it's safe. When a coach leads a session, it's the coach's agenda. When a client leads a session, um, the coach knows what questions to ask because the client is trying to get to their root cause. Um, and I think that really, basically their subconscious mind is leading the session. Um, and you're able to put the pieces together as the coach. Of what you just said about that, because that, I think when I have coaching calls, like I always want the clients to be talking more than me, right? Like that's, that's the whole point because it is them unpacking their, their thought process and their emotions and everything. Because when you have that all on the table and you can see it and feel it, and it's like, if you think about it, a lot of those experiences have been created in your mind or your lens has been created in your mind. And so if you just continue to operate in your mind, then you're just going to create more of that. So when you're, when you're able to change that and disassociate from it and have a conversation, you know, with your coach or to, you know, have powerful questions asked so you can process things differently. That is literally how you start to, like I said earlier, like pull those strings and just start to, you know, rearrange your thought process and start to let go of those things that don't serve you anymore, the things that you want to like unsubscribe from. So I think that that's such a, that's so important is that it really is about coaching. That's, this is the thing with coaching is that people think, oh, well, what's the difference between a, you know, a coach and a therapist and a counselor? And there are, there are differences between them, but it's not about giving advice. It really is about asking powerful questions. I think that's like the biggest differentiator when it comes to coaching with any, whether you're looking at money, relationships, whatever trauma healing, it's like, that's the hugest thing is being able to ask those powerful questions so that people can self discover and acknowledge that those inner wounds or, or, the, or that little inner child that didn't have their needs met, because ultimately that, that's really is where the healing needs to take place. Yeah, it really is. And everyone has like everyone has trauma. Most people aren't, I think they say like three out of four people or something like that, but it's really like everyone has some sort of like missed experience 
um, childhood trauma. And when I say trauma, it doesn't have to be like a big significant emotional event. Um, for example, like a car accident or something like that. It can actually be something smaller that like, maybe it's an argument um, in the house, like you mentioned, like around money, maybe it's just that. And you were there just as a kid and you're observing it. You don't actually have to be a part of it in order for it to be traumatic for you. That's really important too, is that healing. I think that one thing I noticed actually is growing up is that I actually downplayed my childhood. Like, oh, I'm fine. Like I was never physically abused or anything. And like, I, I downplayed it like a hundred percent. But when I look back at the conversations that were had in my household with my dad and my ex stepmom, like so much emotional abuse and just a lot of things said that caused emotional harm. And I think that, you know, be, having gone through that, I can see in my adulthood how I tolerate things, you know, and that's something that I have to catch myself and set those boundaries and like reparent my inner child, like, hey, we're not repeating this pattern anymore because, you know, you're not seven years old, like you're not nine, you're not 15, like this is, we're not doing this anymore. And so that's something else too that really does take a lot of guts is to have that, that self compassion and love and just the willingness to feel those emotions and just because that's the thing is that if we have an emotion stuck within us like emotions are energy in motion right and when they're stuck then they just I think this is what can cause dis-ease in the body right things like cancer or just inflammation or whatever it is like it's like you need to be able to process and let go of those emotions and that's why you know, when I've had conversations with people and they cry or they're angry and it's like, yes, I'm like, I'm like cheering them on because I'm like, oh my God, you're moving the energy in your body. Like it's not going to be stuck anymore because it's shifting. Maybe you were sad or depressed and now you're feeling anger and now you're feeling, you know, confusion or overwhelmed. Like you're, it's like moving and shifting and changing. And that's like, you know, you're moving mountains within you. So I think that's so important to just encourage processing because there's so much you know, be strong and silent or don't cry. Like big girls don't cry. Like there's so many things that just oppress the human experience of having emotions, being able to process our trauma or whatever it is that we're dealing with. Yeah. And uh, feeling your emotions is actually one of the best ways to manifest because you're, if you have stuck energy in the body um, and there's no more room, like your energetic capacity is full in your body. It's really hard to receive um, new energy. Um, if we want to talk about like the, I don't even know if it's the spiritual, it's science too. So if you're processing your emotions and anger is coming up and sadness and guilt, and you're able to let those go, you have like all this room in your body for new beliefs and new feelings and positive emotions. Um, so yeah, like I, I mean, I used to cry in a lot of my sessions and it's like, oh, that you can feel almost the frequency of shame leave your body as you're crying because you know it's something it's like an old emotion that you're just you're letting go of so I think like like you mentioned like crying and expressing and I didn't even realize I was like oh I kind of cry just when I feel angry I didn't allow myself to feel angry because it meant something like I wasn't allowed to be mad or something like that right whatever kind of program I picked up like it was more okay for me to cry than to get mad and express that anger. Um, but yeah, I think letting all of those things go and finding the safe space that feels really good for you, 
whether that's one person or whether you process better in a group, I think it's beautiful. It definitely helps you like quantum leap because you are letting go of so much emotion. I think emotions are completely underrated in the sense that they really are feedback of like, you know, we, we can't necessarily see energy, but we can feel it, right? Like where it lives is literally in the emotions. And so when we're able to identify those emotions and be with ourselves and give ourselves the space to process them or just let them shift or even sometimes just let them be. Sometimes they just need to be, you know, just allow yourself to be upset or just to be happy and just uh, just to be as a human being. Like I don't I don't want to overcomplicate it, but that's really <laughs> it. Like it's just be peaceful, be whatever it is that you want to be and and feel those emotions because ultimately even in the world, like when you look at materialistic things that you want, like it's typically, we think we want that thing, but it's really the experience that we're craving. You know, like when people, when we talk about having money, it's like, oh, I want more money. It's like, okay, if you had a pile of a million dollars beside you right now and you couldn't do anything with it, but you had the money, the money's sitting there, but you couldn't spend it, you couldn't invest it, you couldn't pay off your debt, nothing. Would you want the money? No, pretty sure what you want is the financial freedom being able to treat your family, being able to treat yourself, being able to, you know, support charities to make an impact. Like that's really what, you know, money represents, for example, is having that, is having that freedom or, you know, going, going out for dinner with someone like, yeah, it could be about the food because you're hungry, but it could also be about having that conversation with someone and feeling connected and feeling love and laughing and just feeling joyous. Like there's, the emotions really are the web that create our experience as a human being. And I think if you look at animals, like you'll see they have emotions, but it's not the same as the humans where we're like consciously aware of it and we can have more control over what we're experiencing. Yes. Yeah. We're like the only, um, the only species that can like contemplate our own death. Like really it's, it is very, it's a very unique experience I think it's just around like being a small business and the way that we interact with money and all of these money emotions that come up. Think of it this way. Like Jeff Bezos has what he went over like trillions of dollars this year because of COVID. Right. And he still pays a lot of his workers minimum wage, which is just like atrocious. But when we put money in the hands of good people who are living in communities and we're spending our money it's flowing back into our centralized community. So for me, I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. A lot of my money is going to other small business owners in this area. So when bigger companies come into our city, the money actually flows out of the city and into hands of someone else that doesn't live here. So when we start more small businesses and we can get money and power into the, cause money is power here in the U S and, um, and when we can get that money into the hands of good people, we can start to redistribute wealth and take money. So that's why like people are like, okay, don't support Amazon. Like, can you support a small business? Because it, it does keep that wealth and that money in communities. Um, and it really supports that community. So I think there's so much there. A lot of my clients have guilt around making money and becoming a small business and people are afraid. I, I think you just posted your um, revenue report or you are going to. And I think that's so good. It really, it really helps us um, take the taboo, like new, 
uniqueness out of the money piece because small business owners should be making a lot of money. Like we should be redistributing power so that good people with great values in their businesses who have integrity and really care about their communities can support so that we, you know, for us, we try to help um, the homeless people in our area. And it's like, until like, I can help, I can give them a $10 public gift card. I can give them a blanket, a water bottle, a toothbrush. That's great, but it's still a band-aid situation. And until I can get like more money and help serve more people who do have access to resources and do have money, then I could open my own shelter or then I could do something when I have more resources. So think about all of the good things that you can do with money. Of course, like you have to get your needs met first. But when you can inspire people to heal their money mindset and inspire people to look at their money wounds, then we can start flowing like money into the pockets of people who are actually doing great things for this world. Um, I don't know if you saw on Netflix recently, it was like Seaspiracy or something. I don't know if you even watched Netflix. Yeah, yeah well, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So it was like top 10 on Netflix in the past week or so. And I'm just... Some of, sometimes documentaries, I haven't watched it yet, so I can't say if I'm for or against, but um, sometimes documentaries that take social issues and put it on the shoulders of the middle and lower class um, classes in you know, whatever country you live in, they're like, oh, well, this is your problem because you are using straws and you're using tampons. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, like let's make things that are like, if everyone could afford a diva cup for a tampon or whatever, that's $40, then I'm sure everyone would do that. Or if they stop, stopped making tampons so that tampons don't end up, end up in the oceans and then turtles eat them, right? Or the way that we eat, eat fish or the plastic bottles that are created. Okay, like we, we don't have the access as like someone who lives in the middle class to fix the water bottle problem. Like, yes, look, I'm drinking out of, uh, well, people can't see this on the podcast, but I'm drinking out of a reusable water bottle and I'm one person and I can change my behavior. But the people who have the money and the power to change that is actually the corporations who can change that. So I think so many people shame other people, like, why did you buy a water bottle? And why did you do this? And it's like, well, if we had better ideas coming from the top, then we'd actually be able to, it's a top down issue right now. It's not a bottom up issue. Um, if that were the case, we'd have a lot more, we'd be able to solve problems in a way um, where we don't see the oceans dying and things like that. So I think when you're starting a business and you're looking to heal your money mindset, like think about the ways in which we relate to each other in the world and it makes a lot more like logical sense as to why we should be doing the things that we do. Oh, I love what you just shared. And I think one thing that I've really been talking about in the last month and what I'm bringing up in my first mission fabulous money program is the relationship that we have with money. And that is something that I think is I've really been working on taking out the taboo of this. And I hosted a fierce money masterclass last week. And I was just talking about like, if you were to imagine money as a, as a person, like personify it, like what would they look like? How would you communicate with them? Like, how would you describe their current relationship? And in the past, you know, I would say things like, oh my God, you're so volatile. Like, 
you know, I, I want you, I always want you around all the time when you're gone. Like I'm stressed out. Like I hate looking at you as in my bank account <laughs> and just things like this. And I was like, yeah, no wonder it's, it's not coming around. Like I don't have a good relationship with it. So, you know, one thing that I really love about that I'm focusing on when it comes to money coaching is like, Hey, looking at your relationship with money and really seeing it as you are the person that has the power because you're using money as a tool, right? So like you're sharing the impact that we can make is really paying attention to how we use that money, how we invest it, the communities that we're putting it into, like that's ultimately what's going to cause a shift. And that is as an individual, what we do have control over is how we see money. But then again, there's still that fine line of, you know, privilege coming into play because if you have access to it, it really depends on, you know, your circumstances and your ethnicity and so on. So it's like such a, such a complex experience. But when I see people shift and, and feel different about money and be like, yes, I'm feeling worthy. I can see where these old patterns and behaviors have come from. And, you know, they just start showing up differently and they spend and they save and they create differently. It's like, it's so refreshing. You know, it's like, okay, you've done it. More people can do this. Right. And if more people do this, then ultimately as a collective, this is what makes an impact. And this is, you know, what, what will change the world and change people's experience about money and thinking that it's a limited resource when ultimately the money in the world can be received and released infinitely like it it's it it can be a flow but there's these these blockages that prevent that from happening right and those are the systems in place and it's racism and discrimination and it's the big corporations where the money is swimming in their own pool and it's not causing that effect on people who deserve to be paid more than minimum wage and so on so it's like yeah it's such an interesting thing but I know that myself doing my own inner work from like what I shared from my childhood like I never in a million years like even myself three four years ago thinking that I would be comfortable or confident to share about money or even share about you know what I did in the first three months of this year compared to last year like never thought that I would do that but it, it did come from doing the work that we talked about this looking at the inner programming looking at my privilege like looking at doing that deep inner work so that I can show up differently and ultimately impact other people as well so it's it's like such a like money is such a privilege in itself and it's such an opportunity you know, when we get the chance to use it and, and be powerful with it. Exactly. Yeah. Money is a privilege. Debt is a privilege. Some people don't even have access to debt. So um, it's just, it's just reshifting your perspective on, yeah, what you have access to. Um, and you're ne not necessarily going to realize all of the abundance of what you have access to until you start looking at the barriers that do exist. So that's such a good point. Um, I feel like we could probably have a part two <laughs> about money, small business oh, yeah, ownership. Sure. Like there's, yeah. And if people have like questions that they want to submit, um, we could probably go on and on about this for days. Oh, <laughs> we yeah, talk in no. the DMs all the time about this and we'll like send each yeah, other posts and be like, Hey, did you see this? Or what do you oh, think? Oh yeah. No, I love that we have such an open dialogue. And I think it's so interesting too, because I'm in Canada and you're in the US, like there is going to be that contrast. And even when the Asian hate crimes were happening, I held off from sharing anything on my stories until something came up in Canada. And it was like, oh, look, this is actually the racism that, that happens against people in, in uh, Asian communities in Canada. Because I was like, hey, this is what I need to be sharing about because I'm, I'm from Canada. Like it makes sense. I, I start just sharing about another country, then I'm ignoring the inclusivity of being inclusive, right? 
So it's just, I love that we are so good at, you know, complimenting each other and supporting each other and having this open dialogue and just normalizing these conversations so that people can feel empowered about themselves. So, yeah, I want to thank you for having this conversation with me today. It was, it was so beautiful and just flowy and really got into some raw stuff as well that I think that that's just going to be part of helping other people heal. So I want to thank you so much for recording this with me today, Kaylee. And if you want to take a moment and share if you have some services coming up or where also where people can find you on social media, that would be awesome. I feel like there's, we're definitely going to have to have a part two for this because there's just so much, um, especially I think you probably naturally have a lot of women listeners because you're a woman. So um, we can talk about like women and entrepreneurship or something with money because there's a lot of conditioning with women and money that I think we could probably have a whole nother episode on. But um, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast to chat with you and like finally see you on a screen other than my smartphone <laughs> um, and chatting. But if any of you want to connect, I'm at Kaylee Robsham on Instagram and I do um, enroll for NLP hypnosis. Um, life and success coaching practitioners. It's a five to six part certification. Um, right now, the, the first level is six months long um, and the next cohort enrolls in June. So you can just um, direct message me on Instagram. That's probably the best way. And I try to get back to people within like 24 to 48 hours. So um, yeah, if you're interested in up-leveling your coaching, you want to start a business, coaching, consulting, healing, um, I run a trauma sensitive business. Um, I don't say trauma informed just because there's actually not a ton of trauma informed like certifications for coaches that go into um, like specific uh, traumas. So I try to use trauma sensitive. Um, it's a little bit more broad. So um, yeah, we can get into that another time too, but it was so good to be here and I'm so excited to um, follow along and see what people have to say. I just want to thank everyone for listening today. And if you want to share this episode and tag us on Instagram, please do. That would be amazing. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, liked the episode or left a review, please do that as well so that I can continue to get this content out into the world so until the next time thank you so much again for being such an incredible audience and listener and i'll chat with you in the next episode